In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about hard crushing on death, pining for death, starting a plague for death, and swooning for death in our discussion of Belladonna by Adeline Grace. everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult, and sometimes other, books, series, authors, voice actors, and illustrators that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire, and today we're going to discuss Belladonna by Adeline Grace. (laughs) Belladonna! Belladonna! Belladonna. (laughs) I can't help it. (laughs) This is the problem when we, like, chat before we press record. We do stupid voices and say silly things and we just keep laughing through. Well, now, the way you said that, it makes me want to go, Isabella. Like, Aro (laughs) from Twilight. Well, that's always acceptable, though, isn't it? And then you go, (laughs) weird high-pitched giggle. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. We are not talking about Twilight. But we can always bring it back to Twilight. It's a special We can. We really, really can. Um, standard disclaimer is where we are. Ah, yes. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book, then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Bella donna. Sorry. (laughs) Bella donna. (laughs) It's always the fingers. It's it's, it's the TikTok thing or the reels where they're like, it's just things that make sense. Yes. (laughs) Do you know what makes sense? If we had background information right now. Ah, yes. That that does make sense. Okay, so I found this background info on the nerddaily.com. It's a Q&A with Adeline Grace from August 2022. It's right around the time that this book came out. And the person interviewing Adeline says, I'm in love with the premise of the personification of death becoming entangled with the heroine of Belladonna. <laughs> what inspired you to write about this character? And I just wanted to say, I'm in love with with the personification of death is enough to just that's the summary of this episode hard crushing on death i know let me continue with this background info and then we can talk about death some more because i'm in love with him let's just always just talk about death always talk talk about about death yes yeah 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 Okay, so Adeline responds, It's funny because I'm such a baby when it comes to anything scary. I don't watch horror movies or read scary books. And I want to say, why? Excuse me, why? Because she's a baby when it comes to it. (laughs) She just told you. (laughs) I know. And then she says, I don't like talking about real life ghost stories or aliens because it all freaks me out. Yet at the same time, I've always been drawn to the macabre. Think eerie rather than scary. I grew up listening to Sweeney Todd during beach vacations and being obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Twilight, and so many other stories with paranormal elements. (laughs) 
I love the dark and the weird, especially when it's paired with a beautiful and glittering world. I love the juxtaposition of those elements and find that I feel very at home in those stories. So I love it. And I automatically I, love I, her and I want to be yes. best friends with her. I am all over that. Yes. I feel like Adeline Grace is my speaks to me at a fundamental level. Yes. Except I do enjoy a horror movie and very excited at the 13 Ghosts TV series, which I'm just going to throw that in there. Yes, also, same. I've found about that this week. Yeah. But yeah, same. everything same. about that is like, okay, well, let's get the beverages in, let's get some snacks and let's just watch Buffy and Twilight and all these other paranormal yeah. stuff. Yeah, it sounds amazing. <sighs> she sounds like the type of person I would just like watch the terrible ghost hunting programs i adore with yeah but she might not like it because she doesn't like she doesn't like ghosts they are not scary they are the opposite of scary they are ridiculous you're right buffy is scarier right so we so, in other words we need to be best friends with Adeline we Grace, do that's we really my conclusion. yes we really really do i think we need to manifest having her on the show Uh, it's a dream yes it will be a dream yes we know that book three of this series is coming out in august so i mean it sounds before my birthday it sounds like it's the perfect time so we need to try to make that happen i've already pre-ordered it and it's a special edition signed copy that they're not advertising yet i'm like ah sneaky nice nice (laughs) (laughs) okay um so initial thoughts i need everyone to read this book this this is possibly one of my books of the year i know already I like calling it already yeah we it did just... the same a couple of years ago too remember we talked about empire, empire of the vampire and we were like yep no other book will top that book it's this year setting a really high bar and i'm so excited that we finally got around to reading it because we talked about it in one of our recommendations sometime and i yes. remember recommending it and going we need to read this book yes um, but the audiobook's like 13 hours, mm. which that's kind of like the tippy top of us being able to feasibly listen to something and summarize it in yeah. a short time period that we have to turn around yes. every episode. Yes. Um, but I'm so glad we're like, you know what? No, no, we need to cover this one. It's yeah. like it's happening. I'm desperate to read this book. I'm so, I, I, I will throw myself on the sword of summarizing it because I need to read this book. Yes, and it's great. And everyone off. needs to read it. Yeah, it's brilliant. And the audio book as well. I'm just going oh. to throw that in there right now. was absolutely brilliant. The narrator so was uh, Kristen Atherton. Yes. And she did an absolute stellar job. Yes. Mwah. Yes. Stellar job. Okay. <laughs> Let's get started. Let's get started. Summary. Summary, yes. Summary of Bella Donna. Bella Donna. <laughs> it's not even set in Italy. No, it is 100% not set in Italy, but it's fine. Everything's it's fine. just us being ridiculous. Which is an everyday occurrence. It's on brand. Everyone at the party coos and fawns over baby Cigna, swaddled in crimson and being held by her mother, Rima Farrow. Cigna is an unusual baby. She knows that Death is at the party, and Death makes his way through the throng of guests and the halls of the opulent Pharaoh estate, the poison in the wine taking everyone except one. Despite her mother's milk being infected with the poison, Death's 
touch does not affect Signa. Death's cold touch doesn't give him flashes of her life, but glimpses of her future. So he declares it is not her time and leaves with Rima's spirit and the many, many others he took that night. Signa keeps trying to draw death from the shadows. She remembers seeing him when her grandmother died, ferrying her soul. Anytime someone dies, she sees him, and now she's trying to draw him out with increasingly and supposedly deadly undertakings. Signa's bones break, but heal quickly. Thorns pierce her skin, but the wounds soon vanish, and five belladonna berries squashed in her tea only take her breath away just the right amount of time for her to see death in his shadows. Her latest guardian, the terrible Aunt Magda, believes Signa is a witch with her belladonna tea and her string of dead guardians in her wake. If I was Aunt Magda, I'd be pretty terrified. But <laughs> yes. no, she's just angry and terrible. Yes. As Magda is racked with a rattling cough and spitting abuse at her, Signa retreats to her attic room, secures the door and eats the five belladonna berries she had secreted in her pocket. Her intention is to stop death from ruining her life and when he comes to her, she reaches for a knife and plunges it into his chest. <laughs> The only thing stabbing death does is make him laugh, and we <laughs> immediately fall in love with him. <laughs> Meanwhile, Aunt Magda comes storming in and grabs Signa. As Magda goes to strike her, Signa pushes her away, which somehow kills her aunt. Signa <laughs> blames death for the deaths of all her family and guardians, for putting her in squalor and misery, even for her non-existent prospects at marriage. Look, death is not to blame for all of those things, Signa. You need to chill out a little bit. Yeah. He's got a bad rap. Yeah, <sighs> he does. Death will prove he isn't Signa's enemy and asks her to wait for him for two days. Later, the coroner takes Magda's body away as her spirit constantly spits insults at Signa, calling her witch and worse. After her body is taken, Signa sees a dying hatchling. She strokes it. Sure, her touch will kill it. However, it isn't until she eats the belladonna berries in her pocket and is watched by death in the shadows that her touch takes the hatchling's life. Two days later, a carriage comes for Signa. She has been invited to stay with Mr. Elijah Hawthorne at Thorn Grove Estate. Mr. Hawthorne is the husband of Magda's granddaughter, Lillian. As the driver collects Signa's belongings, a young man who has come to escort her, Silas Thornley, steps out of the carriage. Silas is eager to leave the hovel and, on the way to Thorn Grove, he explains that Lillian is dead and Elijah is busy with his sickly child, Blythe. Because Magda's spirit is tethered to the grounds where she died, her screams of abuse slowly fade as Signa travels further away. Doppler effect abuse. 
Eventually, they arrive at a train station, and Signa watches all the grandeur surrounding her as they board a train. To her amazement, a cart of sweets and cakes are delivered to their private carriage, and she's able to indulge to her heart's content. She draws conversation from Silas as they partake, and he's able to give her some information about Mr. Hawthorne and Thorn Grove. Hours later, they arrive at Thorngrove, and it's a showcase of wealth, and apparently a soiree is taking place. Silas leaves Signa to return to the stables, as apparently he isn't the gentleman he appears to be, but merely a stable hand. Three people are waiting for Signa's arrival at the door, Charles Warwick, the butler, her cousin Percy, and Marjorie Hargreaves, the governess to Mr Hawthorne's daughter, who shall also be her instructor. Marjorie escorts Signa to her room and is accosted on the way by a slimy man called Byron, who Marjorie threatens to push over the banister. <laughs> nice. When Marjorie leaves Signa to settle in, she wastes no time and goes to watch the party below from the landing. It's far from a polite society gathering. It is, in fact, quite scandalous. <laughs> Though Percy seems to look displeased at the antics, as does the slimy Byron, his uncle. Signa watches Percy make a mocking, angry speech clearly directed at his father about how he continues to celebrate his wife, though she's dead in her grave, and leave the family business, Gray's Gentleman's Club, to run into the ground. Elijah Hawthorne doesn't care and stuffs a cake into his son's mouth. Percy catches Signa watching the party and the display with his father. She tries to return to her room but gets lost and can feel spirits around her, watching her and confusing her. Turning into a room, Signa finds a sickly girl in bed, Elijah's daughter Blythe. Thankfully, there are no signs of death and though Blythe looks like she will meet him soon, she doesn't smell like rot and there is a light in her eyes. Blythe is not welcoming and they get off on the wrong foot. Blythe throws Signa out of her room, and when Signa touches her, she feels the chill of death. But death doesn't come. <sighs> oh. Too bad. I'd be, like, touching everyone, me shoving berries in my mouth. Come on. Come on. Come on, death. <laughs> <laughs> One belladonna berry, two belladonna. 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 <laughs> Later, while servants nurse Blythe after a coughing fit, Signa meets Mr. Hawthorne, and he is a bit of an asshole. Signa has heterochromia, the visible leftovers from when she was a baby and was touched by death, and this shocks Mr. Hawthorne because Lillian had the same eyes. Later that night, Signa wakes up and sees a spirit from earlier in her vanity mirror. This scares Signa, causing her to dramatically run outside into the night. But it's creepy, and then she hears crying. Eventually, she finds the source of the cries. It's the spirit of Lillian Hawthorne, and though she looks beautiful, her lips are black, and her mouth is filled with pus, bleeding sores, and meaty mush, and it is disgusting. And all you can see is Amanda plotting the cosplay. Indeed. <laughs> that is literally what was going through my head as I was saying that sentence out loud. Signa demands to know what Lillian wants, and Lillian points to her mouth. Lillian uses a branch to write on the ground, Come to my garden and save her. Lillian must mean Blythe. The next day brings a visit from the Medeste and lessons with Marjorie. 
Percy and Bly are taking tea in the parlour when Signa and Marjorie enter. As they talk, Signa hears the cries of Lillian's spirit. Uh, so do the others. Marjorie dismisses it as the wind, but Percy has to take a shaken Blythe back to her room. As Signa takes a seat at the piano for her instruction, mud and worms seep and crawl through the keys. That Lillian's message is loud and clear. Uh, it's so good because she, I mean, she just... could have sent a letter but she had to go extra and Signa just keeps playing the piano with like these worms and mud and ooze coming up and crawling all over her. it's amazing I do like the way she just shrugs it off and just gets on with it yeah she's like well they're probably probably gonna think I'm crazy if I'm like oh worms <laughs> so I better keep playing <laughs> After lessons, Signa ventures outside to look for Lillian's garden. With no clue where to start, Signa heads to the stables to recruit Silas. Silas agrees to accompany and offers to let Signa ride a horse. She's immediately drawn to a golden mare who turns out to be Lillian's horse. Together, along with Silas's dog, Gundry, they head out, but Signa feels a pull and Lillian's urgency and gallops ahead. She reaches Lillian's garden that is enclosed behind a locked gate. Lillian watches from the shadows and gestures to a belladonna plant ripe with berries. Signa plucks the berries and fills her pockets, and though she doesn't want to call death, she knows she needs his powers, so she eats five berries. Death surrounds Signa and demands to know if she can use his powers. Death doesn't know the extent she is able to use his powers, but in this veil of half-life, half-death, her abilities are limitless. Death explains that he is put off taking the lives of others for her and tells her she has only taken one life, Magda's. However, a price must be paid when a life is unexpectedly taken. Someone who should have died is given life, so when Signa killed Magda, Blythe was saved. Suddenly, Signa doesn't feel so guilty and actually seems to relish her access to death's powers. Signa figures she must be able to run through the garden wall if she has death's power. Turning, she flings herself through the kit and gets stuck. (laughs) (laughs) So she quickly eats more belladonna berries in case the powers disappear before she is free. How Death is not on the floor laughing, I do not know. He does find the whole thing amusing, but he, and he does help her through. I love it. She's like, what am I supposed to do now? I have iron bars right through my middle. <laughs> what Damn, am I, I am gate. <laughs> what, what do I do? I better eat more berries. <laughs> And death just goes, (laughs) The garden is beautiful, wild, but not unkempt. Together, they head to Lillian's grave. Signa lays a lily on Lillian's grave, and the spirit appears with stabbing needles of pain and cold. When Lillian smiles at Signa, the sores around her mouth crack and bleed, and Amanda takes notes. Signa tries to get answers from Lillian about how she died, but Lillian only tears at the ivy on her grave and uses a stone to write kill. Okay, so Lillian was killed 
obviously poisoned, and Blythe is the next victim. The questions pain Lillian, who shakes and shudders, her body contorting, her neck snapping, tearing at her tongue and flesh. Death warns Cigna not to question the dead about their death, because they might not deal with it very well. Just reliving the whole thing, kind of a nightmare. Mm, It's a yuck situation. It is. So they leave the garden. Silas rides up and sees Cigna is out of sorts. Together, they ride back to Thorngrove, Silas warning Cigna that the servants whisper about a ghost and that everyone at Thorngrove has heard the cries. Cigna confesses her suspicion that Lillian was murdered and Blythe will be next, and as they reach the stables, Cigna begs for his help to investigate. Silas agrees and shows Cigna the entrance to a secret tunnel into the kitchens. As they walk through, Cigna asks Silas about the residents of the house to better understand the dynamics and possibly figure out the suspect. When Cigna enters the house, she is caught by Mr Hawthorne, who entreats her into a game of chess. He distracts her with talk of ghosts and Lillian until he wins and sends her to bed. On her way, she stumbles across Percy, who is eavesdropping. Cigna tries to comfort him in his grief for his dead mother and distant father. The next day, Marjorie delivers an armful of new dresses and an invitation to tea with some young ladies of society who are Blythe's friends. The young ladies include a childhood friend of Cigna's, Charlotte Killinger, who she hasn't spoken to in years, as well as Lady Eliza Wakefield and Lady Diana Blackwater, who are terrible gossips. Just the kind of friends you want to have tea with. Cigna drinks her tea, eats the scones, and tries desperately to learn all she can. Death joins the tea party. Though, obviously, Cygnus guests can't see him. She hasn't taken any Belladonna, so uh, how can she see him? Death hasn't come to take someone. He's just there for the gossip. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the best scenes of the entire book. It's my favorite one. Hands down, favorite scene (laughs) of the entire book. Unfortunately, though, it is not a comfortable visit in any sense of the word. But it is hilarious. Once the ladies are gone, Death offers to teach Cigna how to use his powers. Cigna and Death argue for a while, but really, Cigna has no choice. First, Cigna must complete her lessons with Marjorie, which Percy comes to watch, and both have Marjorie on her last tether, so she sends them to visit Blythe. Blythe is a lot more accommodating to Cigna and invites her to visit. Cigna asks when she fell ill and is told it was a month after Lillian died. Cigna spies chocolates and tea next to Blythe's bed. She tastes the chocolate and it's fine, but the tea, that's been laced with belladonna. Oh, belladonna. Belladonna. Cigna throws it out the window to the sibling's shock. Apparently it is a prescribed tea from the doctor brought every day by her maid Elaine. Cigna tells Blythe she's being poisoned and warns the siblings to be careful with what they eat and drink until they find out who is doing it. That night, the maid, Elaine, is waiting to help Cigna get ready for bed, and Cigna has no idea how to tease information out of her. Nothing in their conversation makes Cigna think she is talking with a murderer, but Cigna does have a new lead to follow with a potential haunting in the library. When Cigna is finally ready for bed, a black envelope is slid under her door. 
Once Elaine leaves, Cigna opens the missive. It's from Silas, asking her to meet him at 11 o'clock in the stables. Cigna catches glimpses of the party as she makes her way to meet Silas. She bumps into Byron and, thankfully, Marjorie catches his attention and he dismisses her. Silas is waiting for her, horses ready for them to go and investigate Gray's Gentleman's Club. After a vigorous ride, they reach Gray's. As they are breaking in, they are interrupted and forcing them to hide in a coat closet very closely together. Dang, the hardship for oh, Silas is uh, hot. Oh, it's too oh, bad. It's too, too bad, bad that that had it's to too happen. Bad. Oh, dang. Dang. Through a crack in the door, Signa and Silas watch Byron and Marjorie. Byron is complaining about Elijah neglecting his finances, his ennui since Lillian's death, and the mess he's creating for Percy in Blythe. Then he tells her to seduce Elijah. Byron is an asshole. Marjorie refuses, despite any past relations she may have had with Elijah, so Byron threatens Percy. They fight, and Byron slaps Marjorie, who spits at him as she storms out. Once Byron leaves, Signa and Silas escape the confines of the closet. They are both a little hot. Maybe it's the proximity. And are aware of the closeness. <laughs> For now, though, they need to continue their investigation of Elijah's office. They find a photograph of happier and healthier and more alive times, and a note from Lillian to Elijah about not letting his selfishness take him away from Percy. They leave Grays and head back to Thorngrove. The secret tunnel back to Thorngrove is longer than before and seems to wind on and on and on forever. Death appears, expecting Cigna to, you know, use his powers to travel through the tunnel walls. But she doesn't. Death tells her he has never met another being able to use his powers. Cigna realizes she has started to crave the feel of his powers and him. Death wants to show Cigna how to access the power without eating Belladonna, but she's reluctant and tries to get Death to promise not to take anyone else from her. But all Death has wanted is for Cigna to find a safe home. Her previous guardians proved to be liars, cheats, swindlers, schemers, and abusers. Death took them to try and help her. With this realization, Cigna accepts Death's help, and he curls his shadows around her and infuses her with his power. Swoon. Not a euphemism for anything else, by the way. No, really not. They make their way through the tunnels, into Thorn Grove, and up into her room. All the while, little playful, glowing orbs of lights, souls, follow them waiting for death to reap them. The next day, Signa heads down to the kitchen to test and taste everything in there, trying to find the poison before heading to breakfast and lessons. Today's is dancing, and Percy has been roped in as her partner. Lessons go well until Elijah comes in, followed by an irate Byron. It's uncomfortable and awkward, and the confrontation in front of them is just not pleasant, with Elijah continuing to ignore his duties and ending, ending with ordering Signa and Percy to continue dancing. So awkward. I, it's horrible. It's, it's so, so bad. Horrible. 
was like, Death, can you please use your shadows to hide me from this? Horrible. Oh. Afterwards, Signa visits Blythe in her room. They talk about their future plans, how Signa always sees marriage in her future and craves a place in society. But Blythe, well, she wants independence and freedom. Signa also tries to figure out what is going on with Elijah and Byron, and Blythe admits that it seems like her father is driving Grace into the ground and no longer wants Percy to take over the family business. Blythe falls asleep while they speak and death comes, not to reap her, but to warn Signa that if the poison is not purged from Blythe by the end of the week, she will die and it will be unpleasant. Yikes. Yikes. So far, Signa's searches have proven fruitless, and while she's pacing her room, Silas comes for a visit through her balcony window. Silas's searches have also come up empty, but when asked, he reveals he knows where the library is, so they go there to search. The library is huge, and when Signa notes how dark it is, a candle suddenly lights. When Silas remarks they need a book on botany to research poisons and antidotes, Signa sees the books move, making themselves known. Signa and Silas head further in and find the spirit of Thaddeus Kipling, a scholar who died in the library, who is spending his afterlife trying to read all the books. But the trouble is, they just keep bringing more in! (laughs) (laughs) Thaddeus is a wonderful recruit to their investigation and directs Signa to a helpful book and the solution it contains, the Calivar Bean, when ground into liquid is an antidote to belladonna poisoning. Signa must get to the apothecary in town. The next morning, Signa finds out Blythe's condition is worse. The same sores that afflicted her mother are now appearing in her mouth. Where is the source of the poison? Signa asks to go into town to buy Blythe a gift, and Elijah capitulates, ordering Percy to accompany her, but forbidding him to go to Grey's. It doesn't take long for Signa to get what she needs from the apothecary, but unfortunately, they are spotted by Charlotte and Eliza, the terrible gossip, and Eliza's handsome single cousin, Lord Everett Wakefield. Signa and Percy, well, mainly Percy, are extended an invitation to take tea, which they try and refuse, but eligible young ladies in want of a rich husband have a way of winning the conversation. Finally, the tea is over and the cousins are in the carriage home. Percy shares his hesitancy over Cygnus' supposed help and his lack of trust, especially since Blythe has gotten worse since Cygnus' arrival. Cygna offers to try anything before giving it to Blythe, which placates him. When they enter Blythe's room, death is hanging in the air. Quickly, Cygna mixes the calivar bean, tries it, then gives it to Blythe. It takes hours for Blythe to calm and rest, and as Signa tends to her, Marjorie comes in and notices a difference in Blythe. Silas is waiting for Signa in her room. He's brought the logs of the Thorngrove staff from over the last year. An hour later, death comes. He has a theory about her that when she eventually dies, she will become a reaper, and so they need to test the limits of her powers. Death touches Signa and it's cold, but when she concentrates, she can feel life, hear final words, and see tethers to the dying. The experience changes Signa's perspective of death. Signa has been slowly thinking about death differently. 
But now her attraction to him is, well, it's burning. <laughs> Despite societal dictates about virtue, Signa is nearly ready to relinquish it. She is going to throw oh. the virtue off the balcony. It's it's off the balcony. It's going to get on a horse and it's going to ride off into the sunset. <laughs> the next day, Blythe's recovery is declared a miracle by the doctor. As Signa readies for the day, determined to find the poisoner, she receives a note from Lord Wakefield, delivered by Marjorie, along with a warning for her to be careful and proceed slowly. <laughs> Um, you need to keep it in your pants. Do not throw it off the balcony and let it ride away on a horse. Not with Lord Wakefield, anyway. Especially not with Lord Wakefield. I mean, we got two guys here that we can throw our virtue away for. Yes. And Lord Wakefield is not one of those two. No, no, no. It seems Lord Wakefield can wait no longer to see her and wants to call upon her today. Signa hasn't given him a second thought, though, so he can wait to see her until the Christmas Masquerade Ball. You can just back off, dude. I adore that. Right? I adore. She's like, no. Nah. Nah, dog. Nah. Signa ventures to the library, and as she greets Thaddeus, she notices smoke. A pile of the botany books is on fire, and Thaddeus isn't the jovial old spirit he was before. He's vicious, and he possesses Signa, urging her to throw more books in the flames. A tiny part of him wants to stop, and Signa clings to that when death arrives, forcing Thaddeus out of Signa. Thaddeus is back to himself, upset at what has happened, but doesn't know who did it. Signa runs out of the library to get help and finds Silas, who will take care of the fire, and tells Signa to stay in her suite. Later that night, Signa tries to contact Death mentally, and after a few tries, it works, and she thanks Death for helping her. It takes a lot of effort for Signa not to call Death to her and welcome her into her bed. Oh, but she doesn't think she will wait to do that much longer. Signa <laughs> ah! <laughs> hasn't celebrated Christmas since her grandmother was alive, and Thorngrove seems to relish the celebration. The first snow will arrive soon, and Signa can't wait for the chill. Blythe is also on the mend, though she's still weak and won't be able to attend the Christmas masquerade ball this year. She gives her cousin a beautiful mask covered in gilded branches, petals, and ivory to wear as a gift. Blythe tells Signa she likes her because she doesn't fit society's norms and says the gift will mean a piece of her can attend the ball. Elaine brings Signa a red ball gown to wear for the masquerade and Percy, in a fox mask, escorts her to the festivities. When they reach the ball, Elijah compliments Signa, saying she looks just like her mother, before instructing her to enjoy the evening. On the outskirts, Signa spots Silas in a well-fitted onyx suit and an intricately decorated mask that looks crafted from fine metal. Eliza and Diana interrupt Signa and Silas's conversation and are joined soon after by Everett, who asks Signa to dance. 
Cygna's dance card is soon filled and the evening is enjoyable, though she wishes she could escape to the shadows. Late in the evening, as Cygna tries to make her retreat back to her suite, a man enters. His hair is silver as starlight and dressed entirely in black and wears a mask of pure gold, more gruesome than anyone else's, with two thorns coming from the base of the skull. The room is buzzing as Death walks to Cygna and asks her to dance. Ah, ah, we both die a little. We do, and it's fine because Death is there for us, and it's fine. Hi. Hey there. <laughs> Belladonna, Belladonna, Belladonna. As they dance, the ballroom fades away, leaving Cigna and Death standing in a snowy, starlit garden. The dance turns to kissing, and the kissing grows stronger, but it's nearly midnight and Cigna needs to return to the ball. Death tells her he can come to her later. She needs only to leave her window open. Cygna is returned to the ball in time for the toast, but unfortunately, the well wishes are cut short when Percy crashes unconscious from the balcony into the tree, covered in blood and vomit. Cygna has one dose of the Calabar bean left and gives it to Elijah and Marjorie to administer to Percy as death watches on. Thankfully, he gives her a nod and leaves once Percy is given the antidote. Cygna suggests Byron may have seen something because he was talking to Percy, and Elijah finally realizes his family is being targeted. Only now? I think the copious amounts of alcohol and ennui may have been clouding his... I think so. I think you might be right. Yeah, I think you might be right. Cygna holds ten dried belladonna berries in her hand, and presses some of them to her tongue, letting herself fall into the veil. She is swathed in shadows like death and able to move without notice. Death's voice rings in her head. He is worried as she's not breathing, but Signa dismisses him. She is intent on putting a stop to the terror with her fatal touch. Signa ghosts through the house until she reaches Marjorie's room, and stops to read her journals, which show that there is no love lost between Marjorie and Lillian, and what circumstantial evidence she takes it anyway. In the room across from Blythe's, Signa finds Marjorie looking at an old photograph of a young Percy with his parents, before ripping it and throwing the scraps out the window. Marjorie's hands are bare, and her fingers stained deep purple, the same deep purple that stains Signa's from the belladonna berries. Signa flees the room back to her own, where death is waiting for her. He tells her there is a problem with Blythe. Oh no. Ooh. Yellow bile is pouring from Blythe's mouth, and death is waiting to reap her. Marjorie tears into Blythe's room, and Signa stops her, confronting her as the poisoner. Signa begs Death not to take Blythe, willing to pay the price that someone else will die in her place, even though Blythe whispers that she is ready. I mean, can she see him? Can she see Death? I'm ready. Ooh, a I'm question. ready. <laughs> She's like, oh, hello. Hi. Hey there. You come for me? Yeah? Yeah? Once Blythe is breathing easier, Elijah demands to see Marjorie's hands. 
At the evidence, Elijah kicks Marjorie out of Thorngrove. Death is waiting for Cigna in her suite. He needs to show her what he does. Death takes her to a place where time seems to stand still and a beautiful blue and white bridge across an endless lake is covered with souls. Death is able to tell her about her parents and Cigna learns she isn't too different from her mother, who wasn't the uh, proper young lady Cigna always imagined her to be. Death then points out the soul she reaped instead of Blythe, an old man who would have had another ten years, but would have spent it in pain. When she questions why he did it, Death admits he has waited an eternity for her. When Cigna confesses her feelings, Death takes Cigna into the woods and they enjoy each other. Society's dictates be damned. (gasps) At breakfast, Cigna might have a little spring in her step. She and Elijah decide that the evidence points to Marjorie, but she couldn't be working alone, and Byron is their prime suspect. Byron storms angrily into the breakfast room, furious because Elijah has commissioned a broker to sell the family business. Byron offers to purchase Elijah's portion. However, Elijah doesn't want to talk about Grays, but rather the attacks on his family. Byron finds the accusations ridiculous. He loves them as if they were his own. When the brothers' bickering gets to be too much, Cigna tells them to stop. They must find Marjorie's accomplice. When Cigna recounts what she read in Marjorie's diary, she realizes Marjorie had a child out of wedlock with Elijah. And it is Percy. Oh! (laughs) Oh! Lillian agreed to raise Percy as her own when Marjorie delivered him to Elijah begging for help because they had been struggling to have a child for a little while. Marjorie stayed to watch her son grow up, but Percy was never to find out the truth. Elijah loves his son and wants rid of Grace because he became consumed with work and neglected his family. He doesn't want the same thing to happen to Percy or Byron. Hence why he's selling Grays. Signa can understand why Marjorie may have poisoned Blythe. She doesn't fit her idea of family. But Percy? Her son? Mm. Suddenly, death whispers to Signa that something has happened to Percy. See so the run to Percy's room where they find him looking sallow and gaunt. Death didn't see what happened, but he felt a spirit and found Percy looking out the window. Percy whispers that he saw his mother. Dum, dum, dum. Signa is left with little supervision with Marjorie gone. Blythe will only let her father visit her, but he has started drinking again. Percy has started walking without assistance, but is still ill, though he ventures out for hours at a time during the night, returning with dirt on his hands. Despite Silas's entreaty that she take care of herself, Signa is determined to follow Percy and get answers. In the forest, they find strange small prints, and Signa tells Silas to follow Percy while she will follow the new tracks. Instead of finding Marjorie as expected, Signa comes across Charlotte, her basket filled with items she has foraged from the forest. 
Signa asks if Charlotte has seen Percy, and she says she has, but only in passing, probably visiting Lillian's grave. Blythe used to visit too, before she took ill. However, she was always escorted. Signa's mind whirls, and all her suspicions point to Silas. <gasps> Suddenly, Charlotte points out grey smoke. Signa tells Charlotte to fetch Elijah before she hurries to the smoke. Lillian's garden is open and being consumed by a raging fire. Silas intercepts Signa, stopping her from going in. Lillian's spirit is floating around when Percy emerges holding a tinderbox. He confesses that Lillian won't leave him alone and that she wasn't his mother. His mother is a ruined woman who worked as a governess. Suddenly, the puzzle pieces snap together. Percy is a murderer. <gasps> he poisoned himself, knowing Signa would save him, and he set the fire in the library. Lillian's ghost is raging and looks at Signa, asking permission to possess her. With Signa's body, Lillian asks Percy why, demanding the truth and what she did to hurt him. He didn't mean to poison her. He meant to poison Marjorie. Oh, dang. Oh, dang. Oh, I he did not plan that well. I did not mean to kill my mother. I meant to kill my mother. Well, oh. What? That boy's not made of smarts. He's not. Lillian defends Marjorie. She only wanted the best for Percy, which he disputes. He didn't want a relationship with the governess. What if someone found out the truth? The scandal. Oh, scandal. As for Blythe, Percy used her to try and bring Elijah back to his senses. Now he blames Signa because Elijah looks to her for help and advice. Percy doesn't see or understand his father's love. Percy draws a knife and lunges to slit her throat. But Silas appears and shoves Signa away though the knife goes into her shoulder. Lillian drops her hold on Signa's body, saying to Silas, He is yours to do with as you will. I cannot protect him any more. Percy brings the knife down, and Silas catches it with his hand. There is no blood, only shadows, because Silas is death. Wow. Death tells Signa this is where she must decide what world she is made for. Does she let Percy go to trial and be hanged? Or does she claim Percy's life as her own and give it to Blythe? Signa chooses to be a reaper and lets her powers consume her. She raises the dead garden like a cage around Percy before letting Gundry, whose true form is a hellhound, have him. I love that. Yeah, same. And now it's over. As Cygna sits against a tree, Lillian appears and thanks her. Death emerges from the garden mix of death and Silas, and he asks if Lillian is ready, just as Elijah arrives on horseback. Elijah sees Lillian, and they are able to say their goodbyes. Signa and Elijah return to the house. Death, looking like Silas, comes to her room with Gundry, who climbs into her bed. Mm -hmm. Good doggo. 
<laughs> he tells her that no one at Thorngrove has seen him. And Sigma thinks back to all the help Silas gave her and all those instances Silas conveniently got lost and death appeared. His help was given freely. He didn't know what had happened to Lillian or Blythe. He selfishly wanted to learn about her, to spend time with her, and she would never have wanted to if he had stayed in his shadow form. I don't know about that. Well, it's kind of a I sexy mean, form. It is a sexy form. <laughs> it's a fine thing to look at, but Signa, you know, she did enter the relationship with a bias against death. That's true. And you know what? She can appreciate why he did that. That's true. And, you know, Signa knows and she accepts who and what she is now. She understands herself now. She's a reaper and she takes death's hand. (sighs) It's a long and painful process to get Blythe better again, but Signa and Elijah share the duty. The parties at Thorngrove stop. Father and daughter spend time together arguing over their favorite scones and walking in the garden. One afternoon, Marjorie returns to Thorngrove and Elijah privately talks to her before she collects her belongings. Marjorie and Signa also talk and Signa apologizes for her not quite baseless accusations. Marjorie reveals she found the belladonna berries just before Signa made her accusation. Bad timing. Percy's reputation is unmarred, and everyone believes he ran away in anger, and an unnamed servant who has fled was responsible for everything that happened. How convenient! Mm, rich folk, man. They can yeah. get away with anything. Yeah. Marjorie knows the truth, though. Oh. Mm. Oh. Mm. With everything wrapped up, it's time for Signa to leave. She has finally reached her majority and gained her inheritance from her mother. Death comes to tell her that with Blythe healing, we'll be able to see each other. And he doesn't want her to use the Belladonna berries to seek him out. They will be together later, but for now, he wants her to be part of the world of the living and not just focus on the dead. Before he leaves, they manage to spend their remaining time together wisely. Wink. Signa keeps searching for death. He isn't in the shadows, the stables, or in her bedroom at night. They can still communicate, thankfully, and he offers to bring about a plague so they can see each other all the time. (laughs) She laughs and tells death that he should not promise her such a good time. (laughs) At a gathering being held at Thorngrove to celebrate the sale of greys, Everett introduces Signa to his father, Julius, who is also Elijah and Byron's new business partner. Julius embarrasses both Signa and Everett by mentioning that Everett is quite taken with Signa and has not stopped talking about her despite them not seeing each other for four months since the Christmas ball. Let it go, dude. Signa reluctantly gives Everett two pity dances on her card. When Blythe makes her grand entrance to the ball, Signa would never regret what she did to save her cousin. Elijah gives a stirring speech, and as Byron raises his glass for a toast, three things happen. 
Julius starts clutching at his throat and his eyes bulge out. Eliza screams as blood pools in Julius's mouth and Cigna feels the chill of death as he plucks Julius's soul. Oh. A young man picks up Julius's fallen champagne flute, noting the remains of the poison inside it. With a rumbling voice, he says, Fate is a funny thing, isn't it? Before looking at Cigna. It's fate. It's fate with a capital F. And he is here to tell Cigna that she has another murder to solve. What? What? If there's more murder, there might be more murders, and then death can hang around for a bit longer. Right, well, I'm going to go and pine over death for a little while. Same. So if people want to listen to like a promo for another podcast, they can do it now. Okay, it's a good time. It's a good time. (sighs) Have you ever read a book and thought, wow, I would love to see this on the screen? Well, the Adapting Podcast is for you. Hi, I'm Emily Malik, host of the Adapt Me Podcast, and with a guest every episode, we take a look at books that have never been adapted, why that's so, and how we would go about translating it to a different medium. We talk about any novel from the serious to the downright silly, as long as it hasn't had an adaptation. So come and take a listen to the Adapt Me Podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. death at the tea party is the best thing that i have read in a long long time that was amazing that was amazing she's like what are you doing here oh you know just here for the gossip just here for the gossip (laughs) It's the way he obviously just reclines into the chair, crosses his leg, uses his shadow to create the teacup. He's like, I'm here for the gossip. Yeah, and his pinky is 100% up in the air. Definitely. <laughs> just here for the goss. Just here for the goss. <laughs> so good. It's death wanting... He, death wants the tea to spill the tea. <laughs> he, death is here to spill the tea. He is. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. He's (sighs) skipping ahead. He is obviously my favorite character, and we both obviously have crushes on him. Oh, my God. I (laughs) adore death with every fiber of my being. It was, he was such a good character. (sighs) Okay. Even while he was Silas. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm called, I I texted you that I was halfway through the book. And I said, and I, and this is, I'm sure it's recorded on last week's episode as well. And I went, is Silas and Death the same person? And you did not respond to that message. I didn't expect you to, but I called it. Yes, but I, I would also like to say that I told you something about having a crush on one of the characters. And you were like, is it Death or Silas? And I said, yes. <laughs> like, I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to say yes. So it could be very ambiguous. It could be, yes, I have a crush on one of them. Or yes, they are the same You see, person. now that you said that, 
yeah okay yeah okay the other same person i just thought you were crushing on both of them because quite frankly death I mean, as death and death as silence are both tasty treats <laughs> Oh, but man. yeah, okay. So, right. Well, I mean, um, skipping ahead a little bit, that obviously wasn't a surprise for me that Death and Silas are the same person. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah. I liked it when he did like the amalgamation look where he had it, it was Silas's face, but Death's silver hair. Oh, yeah. And just. <sighs> oh. So it's been a while since it's been a character like this. I know, I where know. We both got a bit melty. Yes, and I feel like it's also it's also been a while since we've had a main character who like starts out very girly and swoony and oh I've got to get married and she's like nah Reaper death marriage is society nah. Yeah. Nah, nah, maybe a reaper. <laughs> maybe a reaper. Maybe You're right. It's fine. Yeah, it's was such cool. a better idea. But oh. I like it. I like having you know such morally gray characters. Yes, yes. It was really. This is one of the best reads I've had in a long time. Same. Yeah. Where I was actually quite happy to be doing the summary on it because it meant I could take my time a little bit more with it. Yeah. And I felt like I could linger around the story a little bit longer. Um, I've just I'm just so glad you enjoyed it as well because I'll be honest. I know when we were talking about the schedule and I was like, I want to read Belladonna, and because like we said at the beginning, it's a longer book. It's mm. a thirteen hour audio book at normal speed. Um, and we have to really consider our life and work and fitting these in because mm. there's a, a lot of production goes into these. Um, which is why you should join us on Patreon. Um, yes, give us money so maybe we can hashtag, stop doing our day jobs one time. And in hashtag that was be 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 advertising. Always, always be plugging. Be plugging. Um, always be plugging. Um, anywho, um, and I was like, no, we're doing it, we're doing it. And I was a little worried because the hold at the library wasn't coming in quickly, and oh, blah blah blah. Anyways, and I was really terrified you were going to hate this book. Because it's because it's debutante and because tea parties. It's a bit more of a period piece. Yeah, and I normally um, don't uh-huh. love an those of romance to it. Yeah, there was the worry of a love triangle, which yeah. turned out not to be a love triangle. Not a triangle, and it at wasn't all. even annoying at all because no. she was like, "I'm attracted to death." But I also appreciate Silas, and yeah. I think he's kind of hot. Yeah. Which you can, you know. You can love and be attracted to somebody, but you can appreciate the attractiveness of other individuals as long yes. as you know that's perfectly human. Yes. But I, yeah, there was just, I just didn't think it was a book that was going to be necessarily in your wheelhouse. But then when you were like, I loved it, I was like, oh, thank God. Phew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh my God, Claire, you need to hurry up and listen to this book. <laughs> I need to talk to you about, about it. it. Honestly, there's two things about that stood out to me, and I was like, "Hang on, actually, I think this is going to be all right." And it was the fact that Death was such a, a huge character, and he was just so swoony. I was like, "Yeah, she's good. Yep. That's good." Yeah. And the other one was the disgusting goriness of Lillian's ghost. Yes. Yes. I thought, yeah, yeah. I think these are going to be factors that are going to win this over, and yeah. the way that Signa transformed from this debutante to a reaper yeah 
and so realize good. actually my mother wasn't like this she had this book and we haven't re- we ha- didn't mention this in the, at all in the summary but her grandmother gave her a book and said it was her mother's and it was um like society's dictates on how young women should um act yeah. it's the type of book that if you were at um mademoiselle geraldine's finishing school for young ladies of quality mm-hmm. they would use it to like you know prop up on a door or yes. if you've got a wobbly table you put it under the yes. table leg yes yeah um or you use it as a throwing weapon you know yes. it's not a book that you read no. so she's got this book and she's reading it and she's like well, i need to be friends with people like eliza and diana the you know the horrible gossipy girls but really i want to be friends with charlotte because she goes foraging in the forest and that's really cool yeah <laughs> i can't go traipsing outside with the stable boys i want independence i don't want people um, to judge me for how much sugar i'm putting in my tea yes i want to be able to eat all the scones and go to the apothecary <laughs> and not be labeled a witch um so yeah it was like when she realizes that book is trash and her mother paid gave it no heed it was liberating for her and yes. you could feel that in the text and yes. it was great yeah. to see that liberation <clears throat> um you mentioned charlotte gathering things in the forest and i got to say red herrings all over the place with charlotte because she was always like around in the background doing stuff when someone got poisoned, especially with Percy, like she was mm. standing with Percy at the Christmas party when Percy passes out. And then she's skulking around through the woods and she's like, Yeah, I've seen him. I've seen Percy. Yeah. Don't look at my basket too much. But I just I think I think that was really well done. It was very obvious that it was supposed you were supposed to think it was her doing everything, but, like, there's no reason why she would. Do you know, there was a red herring that I had um, written in the summary, and um, it was... what you, You've seen my rough notes summaries where I'll put things in bold and capital letters yeah, to yeah. check on details. And I actually... It was a bit, and it was a red herring that was in the story, and it was saying how one of her friends gives her jams and things. Yes. And I wrote it down to say, friend gives jams and things, is this a red herring? Question mark. So I knew where to put it in the summary if necessary or to take it out as not just for conciseness. So yeah, I was picking it up, what was being put down. I was like, yeah, this is good. So yeah, Yeah. you call it that. Do you think, because they kept saying everybody's a witch. Oh, you've gone to the apothecary. Witch! Witch! Oh, you've been possessed by ghosts. Witch! Witch! You're eating belladonna, witch. witch. I mean, yeah, that one, that one does sound a little oh, witchy, yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. Charlotte, what you doing in the forest? Hey. <laughs> are you a witch? You've got to tell us if you are. She's you a witch. You have to tell us if you're pretty, a witch. I'm pretty sure she's and a witch. I'm looking forward to Foxglove, the second one, mm-hmm. because I think Charlotte's going to be a bit more into it. Faith's going to be a bit more in it, obviously, I think. <laughs> We can assume that fate has got to be involved. Assumptions are being made, but I'm wondering, is Charlotte not necessarily a witch with magical powers, but possibly, because Sing is a reaper after all, so could there be something a little bit about Charlotte? Oh, is she she an agent of fate? Could she be an agent of fate? Could she just be 
a young lady who is interested in natural sciences. Could be. Could be. I'm interested to find out. Me too. So it's obvious that we are going to have to read Foxglove in the next couple of months. (laughs) Well, and Wisteria is due out in August, so I think we can hit Foxglove before Wisteria comes out, and then we'll hit Wisteria in the autumn time. Yeah, it'll be great. Because I need need to finish this series off. I have fallen head over heels in love with this series. Yes. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Um... (sighs) Okay, so I want to talk about something that I guess I mean it's not it's not a surprise, but but it's kind of a surprise mm-hmm. that like it didn't happen. But like I thought that it did, but it totes did not happen. But I thought totes. that it did. Okay, so <laughs> with that really confusing setup that I have just supplied to everyone and everyone just kind of zoned out a minute and probably drooled because they had no idea what I was saying. Um, When Cigna touched Blythe for the first time and felt the cold tingle of death, I thought that she was going to leech the poison from her. Oh! Because it also, like, mentioned that she started feeling a little bit better. So I really thought that Cigna was pulling the poison out of Blythe. And I wonder if maybe she could do that. That's interesting. Because when she eats poison, she can give it to people. You know, that's how she killed Magda. She ate the poison. She's got death's touch. Yeah, Yeah, but still... So I wonder if she couldn't have touched her cousin and pulled the poison out of her. That's and they an didn't... interesting idea because it didn't really go into detail. Mm-mm. And if you think about it, like death when she when death and Signa were talking, death was to his recollection has never been alive. Signa mm-hmm. is obviously alive, mm-hmm. but she's also a reaper. So her powers could be manifesting differently. Yeah. And it could be she can draw death out of someone. Yeah. Oh. But she's like so afraid to touch people because obviously she can kill them. But you can only kill them when she's in the veil. But she had come out of the veil when Magda came in and was screaming and yelling at her. She was still in that weird place because Death was still talking to her. Oh. She physically put her hands on her, though. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a thought. It's just a thought that I had. But she only had five belladonna berries, so she was still technically alive, so she still had a physical form. It's when she had the ten belladonna berries that Death says, you've stopped breathing, what, what the hell? What's yes. going on? Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. And that's when she starts ghosty-ghosting through the walls and stuff. Yeah. I think there's something there. It feels like there's something there. Um, but it's so lightly touched upon in the book. It's <laughs> <sighs> bad. Shut up. Mm. <laughs> that we can't really, can't really be sure. And no. it, may be, it may be something, it may be nothing, and it may be revealed in the next 
yes book or not yes but it's interesting yes it's interesting oh i like that um what did you think about percy being marjorie's child and it being like so obvious because percy has red hair and marjorie has red hair like (laughs) duh uh the ginger jean it's so strong yeah it was unsurprising because right, okay, I'm going to nip ahead a little bit to my surprises. Okay, okay. Because my surprises are necessarily anything that happened in the book because it was obvious, like death being Silas, it was the signs were there, and um, Percy being Marjorie's child, the signs were there. Percy being the murderer. The signs were there. Yes. My surprise is actually that my husband guessed the who done it, the why, and all of what's going on based on a very brief summary I gave him, just talking when he was asking how the book's going and what's happening because I was sitting there summarising while he was doing something else. Based on half of the book, the first half of the book. I'd only read half of the book. And he guessed it all. I was like, right, okay. I mean, he's a an avid reader like we are, so, yes. you know, he, he can spot the signs and everything. Um, he's like, well, obviously the son's the murderer <laughs> and the governess is the mother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and when it came to the reveal, I was like, it's 90% of the way through the book and you called it. He's like, of course. <laughs> he got smug. <laughs> so the fact that it's it's not... Uh, difficult thing to guess based on someone who's not even read the book mm. I'm not surprised by it I'm not shocked and it was it was the only thing that could have happened based on the small amount of players in in it Yeah, because obviously you have, you've got death and signal you know it's not there you know it's not Blythe poisoning herself because that is a horrible thing to do to herself Yeah, you know it's not Elijah because he's deep in depression and drunk and drunk and it only leaves Marjorie, who is obviously a very strong-willed, very determined woman, mm. the way that she dealt with Byron. And Byron is another suspect. Mm-hmm. And then it leaves Percy. So there's realistically, out of a very small cast of main central players, it's one of three people. Yeah. And yes, you could argue Charlotte or um, Eliza or Diana, but Eliza and Diana are there to be gossips. Charlotte yeah. is a link to her past and I think it's going to be a bigger player in another book. So there are people there, but realistically it was Byron, Marjorie or Percy. Yeah. And once you think, well, actually Marjorie is Percy's mum, you kind of question, could Byron actually be Percy's dad? Or is Elijah definitely Percy's dad? You could have that debate. So then you kind of think, well, something's happened and the only realistic murderer it could be is Percy. Yeah. When you put some very boring thought into it. <laughs> yes. You know, the story, I mean, I feel like I've really trivialised the story, but it's beautiful. Yeah, it was it amazing. It's so beautifully written. Signa is not an insipid young little miss. No. She is determined to have a life. And yes... There were moments where she was getting a little annoying, blaming death. Yes. And also just being like, oh, I want to 
be in society. I want to come out. I want to have my mother's money and be married and like. Now you realize what's gonna happen if you get married and people know that you have tons of money. They're going to take your money from you, Signa. Yes, because you have no rights. You're a woman. But to be fair, and all and to defend her, she spends five minutes in what is considered society appropriate like the afternoon tea and she's like oh god this is awful yeah she doesn't even spend five minutes she just tries to reach for a scone and they're like <laughs> oh you're eating another one and then at yeah. the end yeah. of it death throws one into her mouth <laughs> you eat that you eat it your skin and bones you Honestly. eat what you want to eat i did appreciate that because obviously Silas is the person who picked her up and took her to Thorngrove and she's like, oh, who got us all these treats? And he's like, hmm, I don't know who it was. Eat all of these things. Enjoy all of these delicious treats. So he's just trying to, you know, fill her out a little bit. Well, she she was abused. She was Yeah, starved. she was skin and bones. Yeah, she needed, she actually needed to gain weight to be healthy. Yes. And, and he was... enjoyed the sweets on the train as well, Beth. So yes, I love, I love him. I love him. I love him. Do you know who else I love, but in a purely platonic sense? The library ghost. Yes, Thaddeus. <laughs> really, Thaddeus Kipling. I just want to read all the books, but they keep bringing more. I know. I love him. <gasps> oh. And I like that, you know, they go into the library and it's very clearly haunted. And she's like, oh, it's dark in here. Candle. Oh, I need some books about botany. And one falls off the shelf. Like, oh, <laughs> yay. So, oh, libraries are the best. Ugh. Ugh. Even in death, they'll look after you. Yes. So good. Okay. Does that bring us to time? Is it time? I think it is. Okay. There's a ton more we could talk about, but honestly, I think a lot of it would be just going, oh, death. Oh, death. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, We asked on social media, would you rather have the power to fierce through solid objects or become invisible? On Facebook, 72% becoming invisible. On Instagram, 57% are phasing through solid objects. And on TikTok, 40, sorry, 52% are phasing through solid objects. So Instagram and TikTok, you know, there's, it's not a strong favour towards yeah. phasing. Yeah. I'm just, do you have... I'm pleased. Sorry, sorry I just got to say, I'm pleased that I must have posted this one on TikTok at the right time because we got, you know, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of views on this one and lots and lots of votes too. So must stay up until, you know, 1030 and post them <laughs> at nighttime. Ooh. Your 1030 at nighttime is my stupid o'clock in the morning yes. so don't expect me yeah. to do that one yeah no no it's a shame we can't schedule it to be fair i know <sighs> vexing well anyway. let's go through the comments okay. and see what people are doing so 
Colin on Facebook, who I know for a fact is very proud of this one because he told me. I'm not sure I could cope with the facing through solid objects thing. I mean, what if I became solid halfway through and was trapped like one of the demon beasties from the Doom movie, which, let's face it, was pretty atrocious, but I have a real soft spot for. It's probably for Carl Urban, who is great in most things he's in. I mean, have you seen Dread? It's a crime that it never got a follow-up. I, I believe I may have got sidetracked. Where was I? Face, solid, Doom, demon, right. Invisibility for me. I mean... It would just be mega useful, wouldn't it? There's a the sneaky, sneaky stuff, which is fun. The terrifying of friends and enemies, which is objectively hilarious. And the being a little bit of a pervert thing, which everyone would do if they had a chance. Don't try and deny it. Don't deny it. You know you would. Pervert. Which I can't help but agree that, you know, if you were having the invisibility thing, you would at one point do something. Would you look at a penis? Why would you want to? I don't know. I mean, you kind of like walk through a changing room to say that you have. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think I probably do just to compare the men's to the women's and go, yeah, the women's might be full of talc, but it smells a lot nicer. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Katrina on Facebook says, I would much prefer invisibility. If you see someone you know in public and don't want to talk, then poof, you disappear. Plus, I wouldn't really like to go through objects such as walls. Imagine if I came face to face with a spider. Oh, oh, that's <laughs> an excellent point. Yeah. <laughs> Katrina obviously goes outside, though, where people live. Mm. So, mm. Mm. Brie on Facebook says, becoming invisible means I need to walk around naked to take advantage of my power. If that's the direction you're going with, Brie, then power to you. But you can leave your clothes on if you want. Remember, lord and master of all you severe when it comes to reward you rather. I am not cool with this. Better to not let objects get in my way so I can have all kinds of hiding places without doors. (laughs) Emily on Facebook says, being invisible sounds cooler. Vincent on Facebook said, Can I control the phasing? If not, can I phase in just the horizontal plane or the vertical too? There's so many variables to consider. That said, invisibility for the win. I'm going to find myself the nearest gym locker and just perf my little heart out at all the fit menses. So, there we go. There we go. There we go. It Invisible, happened. you're doing a pervy thing. Yeah, it happened. Finally, Crinoline LaFroy on Threads said, Invisible! Think of all the things you could find out. Yeah, in men's locker rooms. <laughs> Gross. What are you doing? I don't want to do the invisible thing. I'm not I'm not into it. I don't know. I think I like the idea of phasing through solid objects. Because it could be a really hilarious party trick as well. Yes. And I can see like the dramatic magic like stage magic potential of that is greater than invisibility. Yeah, I agree. And, like, if you wanted to be nefarious with it, you know, you could rob banks phasing through. I think it would be easier to rob a bank if you could phase through solid objects than if you were invisible. Because if you are invisible, like, you'd have to wait for the bank vault door to open and it would be difficult. And then if you're carrying stuff, like, would you be invisible but the giant bag with the dollar sign on it would that be visible mm. and it's just floating through the air you know i don't know i think i think i want to phase through solid objects 
I would definitely like you know black mask, black and white striped top. Sure. I'd even probably you know have the bag that says swag. Yeah. And yeah, have yeah. a sound uh, like Benny Hill style music going on as I go on. Yes. Rob a bank. Yeah. I am not going to rob a bank, but you know, yeah, it's there's, there's more small things to be able to accomplish with being able to face. Yeah. Yeah. Plus party tricks. <laughs> okay, next question. Would you rather haunt the library or haunt your family and why is the answer library? Because I am I love my family, not that interested in watching them twenty four seven. Don't need to be there. There's a lot of books to read. And all of them are going, Claire, meet me, meet me. Yeah. As long as I'm a hot, like a, a strong enough ghost to be able to take the books off the shelf and turn the pages. Yes. Yeah, you'd have to be able to do that for sure. And then every now and again, I can just be the ghost librarian from Ghostbusters. That's what I was going to say. Like, yeah, I'm going to haunt the library and I'm going to read all my books that I want to read. But also when people come up and bother me, I'm going to turn into a scary fucking monster. Yes, turn. Yeah, you're right. I already am. I already am a scary monster. <laughs> mm. And then and then I just started thinking back to that time that I dressed up as the ghost from the library scene in Ghostbusters. And then and then I think about the time that we made the Ghostbusters diviners crossover that, that came up in my memories the know. other day as well I was I like know. oh my gosh yes oh, that was so, that was so, so good daft. I feel like we need to share that again that was what four years ago yeah because it was one of the first times you, I got involved in the cosplays <laughs> as well a oh. bloody hat a bloody hat do you remember bloody hat. how much time we both spent making old phones <laughs> Do you know, I literally just got rid of the phone the other day. What? Because it, it got trampled and it got absolutely uh, bashed around. So I literally just got rid of it the other day and I was like, oh no, oh no. But yeah, it, the, the, uh, it popped up in my memory. We'll have to reshare we it. We do. We need to share it. We really it's need to share it. It's just so terribly funny. It is. It's like baby Amanda and baby Claire trying to do something ridiculous. I mean, we accomplish it. We, we really, yeah. We did a really good job. <laughs> we got what? <laughs> oh, that's oh, good. It's good stuff. <laughs> anywho, anywho. Next I question. By, no, I'm going to say uh, one more thing. I insist when your library finally opens that you have a, a sign, and on that sign is a picture. One side is 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 the ghost from Ghostbusters looking all happy and reading a book and on the other mm-hmm. side is when she's being scary and then you stick it on your door and then depending on your mood yes. you have a sign people know to come in your office or not yes I will work on that immediately there we go Okay. next question would you rather start a plague or solve murders <laughs> to be with death look I think what's your good time look like I think that I would start a plague. Yeah. Because we need we need another plague. Why the hell not? Yeah. 
We need a plague. Solving murders is very targeted. Yeah. You're having to, like, pick out the victims. While a plague... There's no rhyme or reason in the victims. Yeah. And there's more victims. So you could see them more often. Exactly. One is a medical travesty. The other one is a serial killer. Yeah. And unless you are the serial killer... I don't know. You wouldn't get you wouldn't get to see death as much if it was You'd be busy it was murdering people. Yeah, yeah. At least with the plague, you're just like you know what? For our own health and safety, oh, we'll just you know quarantine ourselves in this yeah. very comfortable bedroom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ink. <laughs> oh, death! Oh, oh no! This plague. <laughs> oh, death! <sighs> would you rather tempt death oh hello or fate oh and now it seems scary (laughs) i think i think in this case we need to take out the sexiness factor no i know i know i know and maybe maybe this should not be a capital D death and a capital F fate. It's just regular death and fate. Because in I'm that a, case, I'm choosing fate. I'm choosing fate if we're taking out the capital D and the capital F. Yeah. I'm choosing fate because fate is unsubstantial. Yeah. But if you're going to capitalise them, well, they were substantial. And you know what? We don't We don't know capital D capital F fate we don't know anything about him is he also a studly handsome gentleman well he's young he's a gentleman and he has a gravelly voice that was rumbling across the room Mm. I'm I'm less inclined Mm. to think that fate is the hottie that death is. I mean, he might look good, but I don't know if the personality's there to match. Right. And death has a fantastic personality, so... Excellent personality. Yeah. Mm. He's got many... Death has many an excellent attribute. Yes. Oh, indeed. Makes all the young ladies swoon. <laughs> oh, honestly, it's like we're like sixteen reading Twilight. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm fine okay. with that. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned too. Twilight again. I had to. I feel like it, it's my duty. It's our duty to constantly mention Twilight. <sighs> Last question: Would you rather attend a ball? That will end in murder. Or afternoon tea that will end in gossip. Is death there with his ghostly teacup and his pinky in the air? You are lord and master of all that you survey. I'm not putting parameters on this one. Unlike some people I could mention. You know, I don't really care about gossip. Let's solve a murder. 
Oh, you're solving it. You're just like, um... Well, I'm not being murdered. No. Are you doing the murder? I could be doing the murder. You're right. I could be doing the murder. But yeah, I'm going to... I think also I would rather attend a ball, especially if it's a masquerade ball. I think yeah. that would just be really fun. Yeah. I would love to get dressed up in a big sparkly outfit just once with a really cool mask. And then I whip off the mask at the end and I point out to the murderer and it's me pointing at myself in a mirror. <laughs> it was you. <laughs> it was you all along. The person I trusted most in this world has betrayed me. <laughs> Myself. <laughs> what is happening what are you doing i don't know um i as much as i like tea and as much as i like the tea being spilled i am not that bothered for gossip no no i i do not live for drama it's just not no. I think yeah, I just don't people care. People who have so much drama in their lives, it's like exhausting it's to me. It's draining. I could not be bothered with it. No. But I've always wanted a masquerade mask. Yeah. And I mean, I've been to Disneyland, Disney World a couple of times, and you know, you get go to Epcot in Italy, and they actually have in Epcot um, a Venetian um, masquerade shop, mask yeah. shop, and I was going to buy one, two, three every time I've gone, but I've always been concerned with transporting them home. Mm, yeah, um, I'd like literally want it to be the only thing in my carry-on bag, you know. Um, so I've never got one. I would love to make one as well. And yeah. I would probably just wear it around the house. Um, but yeah, I'll for for one night go to a masquerade ball, enjoy myself. It's beautiful, and if it ends in murder, it ends in murder. It's fine. You know, it's it's a story to tell the grandkids. The, as the, it is. As they would say. Yes. So yeah, I'm gonna do that. Okay. I will join you at the ball. We'll, okay. We can we can take a turn together. Yes, I will put you on my dance card. You, I will put you on mine. <gasps> Amazing. There so we go. Good. And then when the toast at midnight, we'll be like, "Here's the murder." Yes. And then somebody can fall from a balcony into a tree. Yes. But when we toast and drink, we have to do the thing where you wrap your arms around and like you. Oh uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Toasting murder. <laughs> Okay, yes, we are toasting murder. It's perfect. I love it. Favorite final thought quote? I've got loads. And same there's probably more I can give you as well. Yes, same, same. Um, there weren't a lot of like funny funnies, the quotes in this. It's a very mm-hmm. dramatic book. Yes. Um, but there were a few. Um, so I'm just going to give you a mix. I'm just going to go down the list. Okay. You are no ordinary human. It's time you stopped acting like one. If you would embrace the power that I see in you. <sighs> fate can sod off. <laughs> Tell that to his face. Oh. There's no such thing as true goodness. 
there is only perception. So why not try my way of living? I think it would suit you just fine. Mm-hmm. I'm going inside where there is coffee and books and a half. <laughs> All who live must die. That is the way of the world. That, that, that was so frustrating that it took Cygnus so long to understand it's not death killing people it's just people how and yes. people die yeah um human life is a beautiful thing he said you humans you feel you feel so deeply that it consumes you and mm. i'm gonna stop now because otherwise i'm gonna get into the realms of plagiarism yeah yeah okay i've got a ton too do not change the parts of yourself that you like to make others comfortable. Do not try to mold yourself to fit the standards someone else has set for us. And that was blithe. That was a really good quote from her. Blythe is a smart girl. Yes. Yeah. Did you say the first half of this one? Or the second half of this one. Stop worrying about society and playing its game, hoping that you'll be good enough. There's no such thing as true goodness. There's only perception. Did you say that? I said some of it. You can go for the full thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. I I liked the first half of that better. Stop worrying about society and playing its game, hoping that you'll be good enough. I liked the first part of that one. You are not cursed. You are a reaper. You are the knight incarnate, the farrier of souls. You are the bridge between the living and the dead, a caged bird that's ready to fly. So spread your wings, Signifero, because you are limitless. Spread your wings, and oh, how we'll fly. You are mine and I am yours, and together this world is ours. (sighs) (sighs) And finally, I have one that's a little bit silly. There was nothing she hated more than people, and nothing she loved more than attention. A true conundrum. Oh, I agree with half of that. <laughs> There's nothing she hated more than people. Oh. oh, this book was so good. It was so beautifully written. It yes. really was. Yes. You you genuinely do get invested in the characters. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> oh. Okay. If you liked this, try this. What can you possibly suggest? I know. It's difficult. And it's this is very much going to be a hashtag tenuous link. Okay, we like that. So I'm going to recommend a book. It's actually a duology. Okay. But I'm only going to give you the, the first one. Um, because it's it's got a swoon-worthy male character. Okay. He is a bit of a bad boy. He okay. is a wolf. Okay. Um... It's got some assholes in there. And not everybody is a nice person. And not everybody's doing it for the greater good. But one of the reasons I'm recommending it is the same with I got the same feels as I got from Belladonna. Okay. I remember when I first read it, I was actually doing gardening at the time. I had my new phones in. And I was I had a literal 
ton of soil in a bag and I was putting this literal ton of soil into the garden because we'd just gotten our driveway done and you know shoveling away and I literally stopped and just stood there leaning on the shovel listening to the book it just captured me and I got that kind of feeling with Belladonna I was just captured yeah um the narration's beautiful and I'm sorry I cannot remember who the narrator is I can find out very easily but I cannot remember and so the book I'm going to talk the, the duology is it's by Hannah Witten the first one is called For the Wolf I'm holding it up for the Patreons and the second one is called For the Throne the first one is very much based on a little red white riding hood story um the second one um is the sister okay and I kind of got some like never not necessarily neverwhere feels from it but it takes the journeys that the neverwhere does because okay. it doesn't stay in one place whereas for the wolf is very centralized um for the throne it's going on a lot of journeys to different places which I got from the neverwhere trilogy especially the last book so I'm only going to give you the summary for the first one because you need to read the first one otherwise the second one's going to make no sense. Okay. And it's by Hannah Witten. Um, so the summary, which rather from the book, I'm just going to give you from these good reads. Uh, the first daughter is for the throne. The second daughter is for the wolf. As the only second daughter born in centuries, Red is what has one purpose, to be sacrificed to the wolf in the wood in the hope he'll return to the world's captured gods. Red is almost relieved to go, plagued by a dangerous power she can't control. At least she knows that in the wild wood, she can't hurt those she loves again. But the legends lie. The wolf is a man, not a monster. Her magic is calling, not a curse. And if she doesn't learn how to use it, the monsters the gods have become will swallow the wild wood and her world whole. It is enthralling. The first one is enthralling. Mm, Okay. It's delicious, and I I love it. And it's a duology. It looks pretty together. Mm. They look pretty on the side together. Mm. Yeah, beautifully written, and it captures that same feels as Belladonna. So that's my recommendation. Okay, what have you got? I am going to suggest one that I found. I've been purchasing a lot of books for my new little library it's just hours and hours sorting through book titles and reading summaries and i know that that sounds oh so dreadful but when that's all you do all day every day it gets a little tiring it's fun activity on occasion yes um but anyway i found this one and it sounds really great and of course i bought it um it's called violet made of thorns by gina chen Violet is a prophet and a liar, influencing the royal court with her cleverly phrased and not always true divinations. Honesty is for suckers, like the oh-so-not-charming Prince Cyrus, who plans to strip Violet of her official role once he's crowned at the end of summer, unless Violet does something about it. But when the king asks her to falsely prophesy Cyrus's love story for an upcoming ball... Violet awakens a dreaded curse, one that will end in either damnation or salvation for the kingdom, all depending on the prince's choice of a future bride. 
Violet faces her own choice, seize an opportunity to gain control of her own destiny, no matter the cost, or give in to the ill-fated attraction that's growing between her and Cyrus. Violet's wits may protect her in the cutthroat court, but they can't change her fate. And as the boundary between hatred and love grows ever thinner with the prince, Violet must untangle a wicked web of deceit in order to save herself and the kingdom or doom them all. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds good. I like that. Do we have anything? Can we have anything even remotely comparable for our new and indie spotlight? Yes. Um, <gasps> now, this one, we got we got an email about this one um, at the end of last year. This book came out the end of November. It's called To Kill a Shadow by Catherine Quinn. Jude Maddox knows nothing of love or even light. He knows only his grim duty as the hand of death to lead the knights of the eternal star into a land filled with nightmares and certain demise. It's only when he sees her, a young woman with wild amber eyes, who's as fierce, defiant, and swift as the shadow beasts themselves, that he feels the warmth of life in his blood. The other knights may fear their lethal commander with his hard, merciless demeanor. Outcast Kiara Frey sees only a leader, a man who knows how to survive. Someone like her. But wanting him is as treacherous as the shadows themselves and just as seductive. Oh my goodness. With a kingdom on the verge of collapse, the knights must now venture into the darkest heart of the land and uncover the secrets of the misted shadows, where evil will prey upon their minds and feast on their flesh. It will betray their senses. It will surpass their nightmares. Most of them will die. But they have no other choice. Because the only way to fight the darkness is to become it. Yes! Oh my god! When are we putting this on the schedule? Yeah, I... When we got that... (laughs) When we got that email, um... She's like, oh, would you be interested in receiving an arc? Like, yes, oh my god, yes, with a thousand exclamation marks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It sounds so good. I, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to have to put it on the schedule because it just, it sounds so good. (sighs) Wow. Wow. We we get some gems every now and then. Yeah, we do. Okay, so that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss This Wicked Fate by Kaylin Bayron. Look out for our Would You Rather polls and monthly challenges on social media. Don't forget about our book club on Discord. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise. And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book.
You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram, threads, TikTok, and YouTube at fictionalhangover. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.